Welcome to URI's podcast series, a podcast proposed by the Armament Industry European Research Group. Welcome to the fourth episode of ARIS's new podcast series, a new format to encourage fresh strategic thinking in the field of European defense industrial policies. In this episode, we will continue discussing the post-Ukraine defense budget increases and their impact on the European defense industry. After Netherlands, the UK and Sweden, we will today look at the case of Lithuania. For this, we have the pleasure to welcome Margarita Cezargite, director at the Institute of International Relations and Political Science of Vilnius University and ARES scientific advisor. Thank you, Margarita, for accepting our invitation. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. So uh, let me start with the first question. What is the impact of the Ukrainian war on Lithuania's defense budget and how has it evolved and will it evolve in the coming years? I've been looking a bit uh, broader. I was looking at three Baltic countries, so I can also give a bit broader perspective, although we are very similar in a way. But um, I would say that if you look at our defense spending, uh, there were two uh, significant uh, events. So first of all, it was the first war in Ukraine, or first part uh, in Ukraine, or war in Ukraine in 2014, after which uh, there was this uh, understanding that we cannot only rely on the myth of collective defense uh, and rely on this uh, um, understanding that uh, if there is a major conflict, uh, we will be uh, taken care by NATO, but we have to invest more uh, in our security ourselves. And that is why we have to invest in our defense. Uh, and that was a major change uh, uh, change in the uh, in Lithuania and Latvia. Estonian uh, defense spending has always been up to 2%. But uh, for instance, Lithuania's defense spending in 2013 was only uh, 0.77% of GDP. So it was obviously too uh, little. And it's been increasing in... Uh, Latvia and Lithuania ever since. Um, and in 2019, 19, for instance, in Lithuania, it has changed to, uh, it, it has reached 2%. And there was this understanding that probably 2% is not enough. And this understanding was reinforced by this uh, uh, war, in the second part of the war in Ukraine, which started in 2022, uh, uh, February 2022. And now we, uh, there, is, there are discussions in all three Baltic countries uh, uh, about increasing defense budget at least up to 2.5 in some cases. For instance, in Estonia, there is um, an intention uh, until 2024 to reach 3.3%. Uh, uh, but we know that there is a government elections, uh, uh, parliament elections in March. So that might be uh, a factor that might prevent uh, the budget increase up to 3.3%. But um, uh, if you're listening carefully to the discussions of the majority of the parties, it's still uh, going on uh, around 3%. Uh, 
in, in the case of Lithuania, again, there are a lot of discussions about reach, about reaching 3%, but it's also about a political will. So, so far, we have a commitment for the next year for 2.55%, the same figures as we have at the moment. But to be uh, more precise, I also have to mention that due to many changes in our defense, which are happening due to re reinforcement of Eastern uh, flank, and also regarding uh, uh, related to our help military aid to Ukraine, there were several installations uh, to the defense budget confirmed by the government and parliament during the year. So that gives additional additional money. Plus, uh, as the economy grows, uh, it uh, might also affect the defense budget overall numbers. So. As you can see, uh, the defense spending is rising and quite substantially, and 2% is not a limit in all Baltic countries. Okay, thank you very much for this. Let's talk now about um, capabilities. What would you say are the major capabilities uh, and the capability priorities that um, Lithuania, but also um, the other Baltic countries, has identified after the war in Ukraine? And would you say that priority is more given to long-term planning or to um, filling capacity, capability gaps quickly? Thank you for this question. That is indeed a very important question. And I would say that defense uh, spending, defense, defense planning is a bit uh, long, a longer term uh, process than, you know, that it cannot be so much affected by the war in Ukraine, which started uh, in February. So those projects uh, which were planned uh, before, uh, they are being implemented. But there are three, I would say, factors that impact, not dramatically, uh, but uh, uh, have an impact uh, in general on the procurement in three Baltic countries. And these factors are related to the war in Ukraine. So first of all, uh, it is a military aid. Uh, uh, Baltic countries were among the first uh, countries uh, to support Ukraine's with the necessary equipment. We are talking javelin, stingers. So of course, uh, the stocks have been depleted. So we have to buy these things. So that's uh, that's uh, that's affecting what we are buying. Another important thing that what we have been uh, experiencing and over the last years, uh, but it was also triggered uh, by the war in Ukraine, that our uh, air defense uh, is uh, pretty much has a lot of holes and uh, our air defense uh, is a bit lagging behind. So I guess the war in Ukraine gave a major impact to push forward certain projects which were already pre-planned -pre uh, to push forward these plans and to acquire certain systems uh, uh, earlier. And I'm talking about HIMARS systems. And this, uh, this, uh, this is actual for all three Baltic countries. So this is also important uh, uh, factor affecting our procurement. And last but not least, uh, there are certain lessons learned in Ukraine, what uh, is required by armed forces to 
uh, try to um, protect ourselves vis-a-vis -vis similar uh, situations that uh, Ukraine is experiencing. So, for instance, uh, drones uh, have been identified as a very important capability, and uh, that is also uh, being included or pushed forward in our defense planning on, on, on our procurement uh, planning. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, you already started answering this question, but would you say that special emphasis is given to the development of cooperative projects at EU level? And if so, how much compared to um, off-the-shelf procurement we've seen, especially, for example, a procurement from um, South Korea and other uh, non-European uh, countries? So... How is this uh, balance? I say that uh, all three Baltic countries prefer national procurement. And another important uh, factor is the um, uh, role of the U.S. In, 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 in the, among, among the suppliers of, of uh, the systems that all Baltic country, uh, countries are, uh, are buying. So... National and U.S., uh, I would say there are two main directions, how we see the development of our procurement. Why, uh, well, on one hand, it, uh, it probably because it's a bit easier than uh, to participate in um, EU uh, and especially in, in, in using uh, the joint procurement uh, procedures, uh, less bureaucracy, uh, and you get what you want, uh, less limitations. So I think that this this is one of the factors that is affecting the decision making. Also, probably political uh, aspects because all three Baltic countries are very pro-Atlantist countries. But at the end of the day, also, I should mention that uh, it is about uh, cost effectiveness. And uh, unless uh, European um, institutions are proposing uh, certain uh, um, financial incentives, uh, like, for instance, uh, not paying the VAT tax, uh, it's, it's quite a good initiative. I don't think that that would be uh, seen as uh, enough tempting for the Baltic countries. So national uh, procurement is preferred uh, over the European uh, one at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I have to mention that also, yes. as for instance, for instance, uh, a peace facility has to be mentioned because, uh, well, uh, initially it was planned for entirely different. Uh, uh, operations and uh, entirely different setting, but uh, when the war in Ukraine started, it was very, very. Uh, uh, it was restructured and it was done in a very fast manner, and I think it's a very good example how European institutions or European initiatives are changing according to the needs. And the peace facility uh, instrument is used also by the Baltic countries, all the Baltic countries, which were supplying Ukraine with the uh, weapon systems. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you say that um, national um, procurement is favored, but would you say that there is kind of um, a regional coordination or consultation uh, with the Baltic countries or with Poland about uh, the, the capability choices? I think that, you know, there is certain consultation on uh, NATO level. Countries are talking, uh, but that's... Uh, not an obligatory in a way that we do not buy things together. It's not a joint procurement. It's We are coordinating systems that we are buying. For instance, I already mentioned the HIMARS systems and all three Baltics are acquiring those systems, but it's not a joint procurement project. They are mm -hmm. just buying the same things uh, to be more interoperable and to cover certain holes that were existing before. So other, but, but, in other areas... Uh, but if, is... if tomorrow, if for example, we have Edirpa and then in a few days later we have Edip, so um, some EU tools who, uh, which could uh, support joint procurement, uh, do you see any projects or programs that could work for cooperation in the region where, for example, Lithuania could be interested in cooperating uh, and uh, doing some joint acquisitions? Well, I already mentioned the financial incentives. If mm -hmm. they are created, then probably the decisions uh, could change in favor of the European Union. Uh, for instance, VAT uh, um, reduction or uh, mm -hmm. getting not paying VAT uh, uh, tax uh, uh, for 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 the joint procurement projects. But I think that uh, the fear is the limitation and bureaucracy, which are related to the European projects rather than, you know, the fear is related to the um, quality of the European products. Uh, so I think it's, it's uh, not the quality, but probably the overall price and limitation that limits uh, uh, participation of the Baltic countries in, 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 in these projects on one hand. On the other hand, there is always a sensitivity towards where the development uh, uh, of the European security and defense policy is going, and in particular in the area of defense industries, there is uh, this fear of a particular interest of the big countries which have the defense industries, as opposed to us, we, we do not have defense industries as such. We have dual use uh, uh, companies uh, as, as a part of the defense industries. So there is this uh, fear that uh, European uh, defense industry uh, would be uh, um, dominated by the interests of big countries and then we would be forced by products that we don't need probably and uh, at the, not at the best price and uh, we would be limited in our choices. Thank you very much. I have a last question. Um, you talked about uh, limitations. I, I guess I probably know your answer, but um, do you think that uh, these EU programs on joint acquisition should allow non-European equipment acquisitions? And if so, could you just explain why? Um, yes, uh, that is the position of Baltic countries. Uh, and it's always been the position of Baltic countries. For instance, when there was a discussion about the um, ability of the third countries uh, to participate in PESCO projects uh, and also uh, in uh, uh, the, the same discussions, uh, the same arguments are used uh, in, the, in a discussion about the 
uh, joint procurement, European joint procurement uh, projects. Uh, I think that there are a lot of uh, arguments related to that. Uh, first of all, again, it's about the limitations, why to limit yourself, because well, we buy a lot of products from non-European countries, it's USA and Israel as well. Uh, then also, uh, um, it, it is uh, important uh, that, uh, um, so yes, some, there are many companies that uh, have uh, several stakeholders, uh, several um, countries participating in these pro programs. So uh, if you just exclude those companies uh, which have at least one, you know, uh, stakeholder from from non, non uh, from third countries, then you limit your list again. But uh, uh, also uh, the arguments, the rather quite political but also economic uh, arguments related to the domination of the uh, certain uh, defense industries in these projects that we would not be interested in, to participate in 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 the. Uh, joint procurement on the European level because we are not interested in buying uh, particular uh, products uh, provided by particular defense industries, which are uh, subsidized by uh, uh, member states. So basically, that's uh, the same argument about limitation of our choices, which might be imposed on us if uh, the third parties are not participating in, in Unfortunately, it's already the end of this uh, podcast, but thank you very much, uh, Margarita, for um, accepting our invitation. It's really been a, a pleasure to, to, to uh, have you uh, with us today. And uh, thank you as well to our listeners and um, see you soon for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.